Good morning, viewers. My name is Suresh Shankar. I'm the founder and CEO of Crayon Data, an AI and big data startup centered in Singapore. And today I'm glad to have John Kim, the president of Marketplaces at Expedia Group, as my guest on this podcast. Slaves to the Algo seeks to, seeks to demystify how algorithms are taking over our life and hopes to teach its viewers how to stay relevant in this new age where AI seems to dominate everything. So it's a great pleasure that I welcome John Kim. Good morning, John. Thank you for making the time on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Suresh. Uh, it is great to see you as always. And uh, it's amazing that we could do this in Singapore time and in, uh, in Austin time. And it feels like we're in the same room. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's an algorithm behind that, I'm sure. Um, so for my viewers, um, John leads the development of artificial intelligence, user experience, research, e-commerce, uh, yield management, data platforms across Expedia's customers, partners, and employees. So I like to put it differently. Uh, there's some brain behind Expedia that's doing what they do. And John is that brain. So John is Mr. Expedia to me. So, John, how would you introduce yourself? I think that's a really good introduction. Um, I'm the president of uh, Platform and Marketplaces for Expedia Group, which basically means that uh, I think Suresh did it well, which is we're really the, the guts of what makes um, all of the experiences work on Expedia Group, which is Verbo and Brand Expedia and Hotels.com and uh, Hotwire is they, they need e-commerce, they need to be able to complete the transaction, they need data, they need, uh, and developers basically need tools to build basically those things. And so there's a whole suite of things that we do. Um, prior to that, I was the president of um, Verbo and HomeAway uh, for, the, for the last uh, four or five years. And then uh, for, for people in, um, in, in Singapore, they may know that we acquired a company under that uh, called Travel Mob. And then uh, prior to that, I was the chief product officer for Brand Expedia. And so that gives you, gives you a nutshell of, of my role, my history at Expedia. And you don't like to mention the fact that you were once a banker. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Uh, back in the, that was a long time ago. <laughs> prior to business school, I did do a little bit of banking. And, uh, you know, after business school, I did a little bit of consulting. And, uh, you know, I think those are, those are interesting career paths. I think banking today is so much more interesting than when I, uh, when I grew up in it. So, John, let me start off with a question that I think every consumer around the world is asking, and we'll get to the real substance later. When can your algorithm predict when travel is going to come back, when people are going to be able to go on a holiday, go travel on business? Well, you know, it's interesting uh, because we're using algorithms, right? We're saying, hey, algorithms. But, you know, an algorithm can be as simple as a forecasting model, which has to do some sort of computation. So the way I think about it is you have to take the data, create some computations, and then that computation spits out some sort of like, here's what we think the forecast is for next year and the year after. And so we can obviously do that. But... The question and everybody in your audience might be asking the question is how accurate is it? That's really the question. And so um, I don't think it'll be that necessarily that accurate. And um, and but the I also will I will also say this is that the algorithms will I think get it right in general, but they won't get any day right. 
So you can think of it as, you know, next year we might want to predict the weather and there's no algorithms, even though we have like centuries of data that will get that right. However, and, and we also have just like so much, you know, real-time data about the weather, we might get it more accurate than we did like a few years ago or a decade ago. Uh, we will get the climate right for next year. And so I do think that we will predict the climate of travel next year and the year after and so on and so forth. But the weather, we're going to be super off. No, that's that's lovely to know. I think uh, everybody's itching to get back. Uh, you know, I never thought I'd say this. You know, I think everybody's getting to getting itching to get back onto a flight. <laughs> not not something that business people normally say. Uh, but John, um, here's a, um, you know, we've talked about this before. And in many different ways as consumers and as business people, there are a whole bunch of algorithms and models that have taken over our lives. And sometimes we are not even aware. So if I were to ask you, could you tell us some three of these really great illustrations of algos that have taken over life, you know, as, you, as a consumer and that you say, hey, wow, wow, that's fantastic. How do they do that? Or even in business, you know, when you come in and say, how do these guys build something like that? What would they be? Yeah, the, the way I think about it, Suresh, and it's really interesting because I also think that your company is in a very interesting position to take advantage of this trend is I read this stat that 90% of the world's data was created in the last 24 months, right? So I think that's a very interesting stat. And then when you project forward, that tells you, hey, the data that or the businesses that will you know take advantage, like what data streams will they take advantage of? They haven't even been created. But mm -hmm. when we create them, there will be new algorithms that emerge. And so um, I, I think about one use case, at least in the States, they haven't always uh, digitized all of their police records. This is just an example, is that what they would do with their police records is they would write them down on paper, right? And then put them into a file. And then when things happened, like you'd go into the file and you'd extract like, hey, let me read up about what, what occurred, these events that occurred. And so, you know, these companies have merged to take these records and just digitize them and trend them and plot them and then think about geography. And they're full of insights. And so it's hard to believe, I would say, it's hard to believe that we hadn't taken advantage of that data really until like contemporary times. That's amazing to me. And so you start to think about all of the places where you start to say, where you start to ask, where is it that we need data that we don't actually have it or we've never written it down or it just has gone to die. And so we're entering a new world where we'll be able to like track everything. There's this interesting company that I was, uh, I was thinking about the other day, which is, you know, one of the things that I, I do twice a day is I'm always checking my blood for sugar levels. And, and mm -hmm. the reason why I'm doing that is that I'm doing that for health. Like, hey, what are my sugar levels and what am I eating? And I don't wanna like spike my sugar. And I think that's like really good for diet management and whatnot. And not everybody's brave enough to check their blood of twice a day, but it's actually pretty trivial. And I do that, but it is so unsatisfying because I'm only taking two data points a day, which is better than, you know, 10 years ago where I had no, no, no sense of it. And then I could correlate it to what I ate. I could say, oh, I ate this thing and it spiked. And then there's ways to actually reduce it by actually taking a walk for 30 minutes. There's so many things I could do for my health mm -hmm. that, um, and, and yet I, 
don't do that because I'm not accessing the data in uh, real real time form. And so I think problems like that over like the next few years, they will be solved. And then we will see algorithms that help us and notify us. And, you know, you'll, it'll be a compliment. It'll be a assistant for everybody to main, maintain better health, maintain better diets, maintain so on and so forth. So you can just think of all of the endless applications that will be developed just in this one little thing. And so that's, that's what I would say to the viewers is that, hey, most of the algorithms that will impact your lives, they don't even exist yet, but they're coming. That's very interesting. That is that's very interesting. And you're saying that's because much of the data itself doesn't exist and these new kinds of data is being generated every day. That's right. And maybe the data exists, but it's not in a digital form that machines can read it and learn from it. And maybe it's not being streamed in real time. And so the blood example is an example is that, hey, do you want to do your uh, blood testing twice a day, get two data points? Or would you rather figure out some way that you could continuously stream every minute what that blood sugar is or every five minutes? If you could do that, then you really have a trend. And then now you really know when I eat something, here's the impact. And when you do it twice a day, you can see there's a level of imprecision that you go, oh, well, I ate that at noon or I ate that at four. Does that make a difference? And I wonder what the curve looks like. You, you have no idea because you only have two readings. So for your that's view, fantastic, and like, that's a fantastic that example because I wear this watch and I now know exactly how many steps I'm standing, sitting, taking, whatever, every hour of the day, literally, because I wear it all the time. And I, it's not even a watch anymore. It's like become a health monitor, which incidentally tells me the time. And uh, what's fantastic is that it's giving me my heart rate variability. And one of the ideas I had, and I'm just sharing this with you, I don't know whether someone's going to go out and build this, is I want to try and map it to my calendar and I want to try and look at the notes that I'm putting into all the meetings and saying, are these meetings very stressful? And if it's so, is my heart rate variability going up and down through that? And there's presumably some algo, somebody writing an algo for that. And that's a really interesting point that you're making to me. Well, I, I think that's, uh, Suresh, that's like such a great use case. I think that you're not the only person who's thought that question, which is if there was an app that existed like that, how many people would use it? Right. And I think a lot. And you can, I, when I was growing up, one of the things that um, I bought and I loved was, uh, it was just a toy. It was a mood ring, right? And mm -hmm. the mood ring, put it on your finger and it would change colors and it would tell people your mood. And I just thought it was the most brilliant thing. It was obviously it didn't really work, but like this idea that you can tell people your mood was just a really cool, um, you know, a toy that I really wanted to show my friends like what mood I was in any given minute. Well, that's no longer going to be a toy, right? That is something that is very, very real. And so wouldn't it be cool entering the meeting, uh, Suresh, if I was like, oh, Suresh is a little stressed. Let me bring him down. Let me bring him down. And actually, while I'm talking, Absolutely. you know, am I bringing you down? I can tell. And, or am I making you rise? And I go, hey, hey, hey I'm backing off. Let me back off because I'm creating. That stuff. is such an awesome thing, John. You and I should go and build this thing together. <laughs> well, I think with your technology, it's all possible, right? So that's the yeah. thing that's you're building in a generic way. And so all of these things, if you could yeah, just but, access the data, you could do it. And what you said is so interesting. About 10 years ago, I think they wired up, or maybe 15 years ago, they wired up this Buddhist monk when he was doing meditation. 
to measure the brain waves you're basically what you're saying is now it's democratized anybody can get it because um as long as a sensor exists that can measure it and capture the data in real time there's an algorithm that can actually tell you how your brain waves are going in every state you know you meditate yeah. you run you I, I think all of these things are going to be possible, right? And so this is the thing that um, for your viewers and, and for people who are listening is that's the promise is like we might think of these scary things, but I think if we get really personal, which is our own health, we could be healthier people. We can have better diets. We could be encouraged to exercise. We could be in better mental state. We can have better meetings. We can have better connections. And so when you think about that range of things and you wish for it to happen and the data has never been available before and that data is still not necessarily that accessible and companies have not emerged to take advantage of it. And these algorithms don't exist and they can all be possible in, uh, in the near future. And, and I'm excited. I'm excited. Hopefully you're excited as well. I'm I'm very excited. In fact, I think it's um, such a lovely thing. As you were talking, what occurred to me is um, everybody thinks of AI and data as a scary thing. And as you were talking, I'm thinking, imagine if this can be a way to remove frustration from human, li human life, you know, on your health, on your meetings, on everything that you're doing. Uh, but John, I think we both are also in business in a certain way. So I want to try and bring it from the world of everything that's possible in AI to what's happening inside, you know, your industry, the industries that I work in, in travel, et cetera, right? Um, and I have, I'm going to start off with a question which is actually provocative because you run the AI platform for the world's leading player in travel in almost. Um, and I'm going to ask this around Google, but I think it's true of whether it's Google or Expedia or anybody else. But if Google really knows everything that I do, which it does in some way. Why is it that if I want to take a holiday, Google makes me go and click 7,000 different things, you know, hotels, airlines, whatever it is, destinations, when it should be able to tell me, Suresh, we know you love a beach. We know it's the time of the year when you're going to go on that holiday. We know you're somebody who likes to stay in a boutique hotel and not a you know, big resort. Here's an option for you. Why, why does this algorithm not exist in travel trade, John? Well, uh, you know, Suresh, this is such a good existential question for a lot of businesses, right? And so let me tell you what the conflict is. Like, where, where's the tension? Is that you clearly can build an algorithm that way, right? But, like, what is Google's business model? Google's business model is to drive discovery. And if it does not drive discovery, they don't have an auction and they don't get paid. It's a very interesting tension when you think about it, right? Which is, okay, so here's something that will destroy your business model. What's that? It's a model that there's no discovery. We know everything about Suresh. We're just going to line it up for them. And then they ask, well, how do I get paid? Well, you don't. And so that is, I think within Google, I'm sure that's a tension. They wanna build more compelling consumer experiences. That's gotta be their number one goal. Like we wanna go do this, but they're also thinking about how do I fund it? How do I, you know, and that, that's a balancing act. And when you have balancing acts, something doesn't feel right to the consumer, 
right? Something is off because True. your intent no longer is just purely about the consumer, but some trade off with a big smile. And that's such an interesting point, John, because my question then is, so it is not when we talk about AI algorithms data, it's not about necessarily what's possible, but it's the, the choice of the business to shape it to an end that they are seeking. I mean, the reason Google says, we know the 7,000 micro moments that shape a, a, a decision to travel is because they want you to click 7,000 times and serve you ads. So you're saying it's not that Google couldn't tell me, may not be the perfect destination, maybe one or two or three, but they don't want to because of business model. So you're saying it's not a technology issue, but a business model issue that's um, kind of holding back consumer experiences in some way. That would be my guess. You know, I obviously don't work there, don't work on their products, but if I had to guess about the struggles that everybody has in algorithmic development, it is really about what is the purpose, right? And for many, for many companies, the purpose is actually to drive discovery. That is the business model. And, um, and I understand the tension. And, but, but what about Expedia? For you, if people travel and they bank the booking, that's how you make your money. I mean, while discovery is a part of it, um, it's um, really about that. Is that part of your game plan that you will predict for Suresh or for every Suresh, every one of the billion Sureshes who want to travel? Hey, here are three or four places. May not be one, but three or four places you won't probably go to. Is that the way you guys think about this? Yeah, I mean, I, and I would think about it, Suresh, in pieces, right? And so, like, think about this in pieces, is that if you're a traveler, what is the first thing that you worry about when you think about picking, like, a, a site that you want to book your travel? Well, a couple things, right? You want to make sure that wherever you go, they have everything. Because what's the point if they don't? And then they have the right prices, like, the most accurate, the cheapest prices, or like they can help you find the cheapest prices because if they don't have that, then again, it's like, well, what am I going to this site? And then you want the consumer experience to be somewhat seamless. So you say, okay, well that's table stakes. To be a foundational, like a company that basically provides that service, you have to have that. The second thing, and I think we're entering this phase, this is where Expedia is, is coming in is, could they use their data to actually help you contextualize everything you're seeing. I'll give you an example. Is that today when you do a search, you might look at a hotel and say, well, this is the price and I'll make it up. The hotel, a four-star hotel is 400 a night. And you might think, wow, that's expensive. Well, is it? I guess that's the question, right? So um, if I said, hey, the $400, this is the cheapest price it's been in three years. That gives you a different context. If I said to you, this $400, it's the cheapest among all four stars in the close in the nearest area by at least a hundred dollars. That might give you a different, absolutely. Different, you might say of the four hundred dollars for the four star. Did you know that this is as cheap as all of the three stars in the area? You go wow, and so you can contextualize a lot. So I think you know going back to data that hasn't existed before. All of this data has existed, but it's never been pieced together in a way that you can like show it to a consumer and say, hey, consumer, think about all of these prices relative to, to, your, uh, uh, to your searches and what data would you want? And then there's a personalized element to it because those are industry standards. But you, know, you say, Suresh, 
you only book four stars. So, and then this is your history of four stars. And so relative to your purchasing behaviors, this is dirt cheap, right? Or this is a hundred dollars cheaper than any four star that you've ever booked. You know, okay, now you're starting to really get into the personalized, personalized way of thinking about these prices. And I might say to you, hey, I'm gonna sort these things according to your history. And now you go, okay, we're getting closer and closer for you to actually trust me to actually make a decision for you. But without that going through that piece by piece, you'll never trust an entity to do the booking for you. And that's kind of interesting, you know, because John, what you mentioned, I mean, I wonder what you probably have heard of Robert Cialdini who wrote this book called The Power of Influence. And he basically says that every time you make something and you tell people something, give them the reason why. And when you're talking about contextualizing, you're really talking about how you present the information around. And that's as important in an algorithm as actually just the final decision that you are trying to communicate or the recommendation that you're making. That's a very um, um, interesting way of looking at it. And um, you wonder why, you know, um, every time when you get um, these taste match scores that you see in, uh, you know, all the algorithms, you wonder whether that's one way of trying to do that, you know, this is 75% in line with what you want. And um, uh, so I have a question for you then. Is that part also an algorithm? The one that says, you know, this is the cheapest one, or is that something that is a human being basically saying, I know three or four common is, ways in which the user experiences. That's absolutely algorithmically driven. It has to be. Because if it's not, then you as a consumer can look at, if you start looking at the data and you find out it's not, it's very easy to disprove. And so you have to have algorithms doing it because you've got to do that computation. Now, what's hard about travel is that prices are changing every second. Mm -hmm. So to make any bold claim at any given moment, you're going to be wrong. And you could be wrong in literally 60 seconds, right? And so it's, uh, it's a very difficult task when you start to think about the travel world relative to, let's say, the consumer markets world of hammers. Hammers are not going to change price from minute to minute. And they're not going to disappear off the shelves magically. But in travel, yeah. hotel rooms and air 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 seats disappear in seconds right and so it's very very difficult to actually have algorithms on that data because it's changes so often this is such a fascinating conversation i'm having with john kim head of platform and marketplace at expedia group we're going to continue this conversation in our next episode to my viewers and listeners thank you for listening and see you back on the next episode of slaves to the algo we have new episodes coming out every week sometimes twice a week each will seek to bring a different and fresh perspective to the topic. Please subscribe to the podcast channel and share it widely in your network. I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Meanwhile, stay safe personally in the age of COVID and stay relevant professionally in the age of AI.